Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love hearing about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. Every year I like to take at least uh, one book and turn it into a series uh, because I think it's so important to introduce you to other voices in the body of Christ and other people that God is using. And this is the first time I've ever uh, done something with Pastor Chris Hodges, but uh, he and his church, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, have been extremely influential in our church and shaping how we think about church and the way we do things. And uh, this is a great book that you can get, you can check out if, if you like some of the content that we look at in this series, this will be a great companion for you. But it's all about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, we live in a world where culture has a big roar and it's so easy to think, I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, that's what this book is about and that's what this series is about. In fact, uh, is anybody interested maybe in this book? Do you think this sounds like something that you wanna read? All right, Pastor Angie, you wanna find somebody? Just uh, raise your hand, let them know that you wanna check that out. Um, but I encourage you to check that out. And like I said, lots of us think of Daniel because of the lions, but the reality is uh, the book of Daniel is really about Daniel's constant confrontation with a culture that was continually pulling him to live in a different way. That's the Daniel dilemma. It's how can you live godly in an ungodly world? And uh, I wanna begin by looking at Daniel chapter one, verse one, and we're actually gonna go all the way through Daniel chapter one today. So for those of you who love it when we take a series through the book of a Bible and we go through verse by verse, you're really gonna love today because that's what we're gonna do. But to start us out, uh, I'm gonna read just the first seven verses and then I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna give you some context and we'll get into this. But in Daniel chapter one, verse one, it starts by saying, in the third year, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude. I'm realizing as I'm reading this now, this kind of sounds like me. Um, just kidding. didn't have to laugh, all right? It would have made me feel a little bit better. Uh, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. These are the four guys that I want us to look at today, because... What we're gonna discover in this passage, this first chapter, is that these four young men 
are gonna be confronted with a culture that's asking them to do some things that they didn't wanna do. And the very first thing we see this culture do is give them new names. And so I'm using this last verse, verse seven, as uh, the basis for my sermon today. I'm calling this message name dropping, name dropping. And I'm giving you the title so you can write that down so uh, that later when you steal that pen we gave you that you came in, at least you used it for God before you stole it. So uh, if you wanna write that down and take notes, I think God is gonna use this message to help you out today. Hey, I wanna pray, ask that God would work through this message and speak to your life. And I know I need help. I know I need God's prayer. I don't ever wanna get up here uh, without God's help. So would you bow your head and pray with me? And then we'll get into God's word. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that whenever we come into your presence, that you are always available to speak. And God, I know I need your help today. I know that I, I never wanna get up here and just preach something that I've prepared, but God, I wanna get up here and preach something that you've put on my heart, and I want your word to go forth. So God, I'm asking that you take these words and that they would be as seeds sown on good ground today, that they would take root in people's lives and produce fruit, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us a mind to understand and a heart to receive all that you have for us today, God. I believe you'll do it, and everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, do any of you struggle with indecision? Anybody, let me see your hand. How many of you aren't sure? Anybody? It's like everybody's like, I don't know, maybe. Not sure on that. Um, you know, I think all of us at some point, we struggle with indecision. And I don't know if it changes, like as you get older, like maybe as you get a little more confidence, as you get a little more swag, uh, decisions just seem to come easier to you. Uh, it's just a little more natural. Or maybe if you've had some hard knocks in life, uh, maybe some of the, the things that you've struggled through and things that you've suffered through can, can make you a little more timid. And I mean, I think all of us do, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, all of us have moments of indecisiveness and I guess what made me think about it is this last week was my wife's birthday. Uh, correction, uh, this month is my wife's birthday. Um, because you see, in, in my house, it's, it's not a day, it's a month. And uh, it's like, you thought, you know, people made a big deal of the royal wedding. I mean, this is like, you just don't even know. And uh, so, you know, we celebrated her birthday last week. It's like, you know, week three of, of the month. And, and uh, I... I I, th I thought I had this figured out because, you know, I, I used to always think that, like, my wife, her, her primary love language is gifts. You've heard of love languages, right? And I've told you this before. Her primary love language is gifts. But in our almost 15 years of marriage, um, I'm beginning to second guess that a little bit. I, I'm coming to realize that my wife has all five love languages and that at any given moment, they can vacillate in order of priority and importance. Is that just my wife or is there any other women like that? You're like, yes, I'm just, you know, I'm an enigma. I'm, you know, you have to figure me out. But I, uh, you know, I had all this stuff planned out and I really put a lot of thought into it. We had, um, you know, we had stuff from the very beginning of the day. Like, like I talked to our kids about it and they're like, yeah, let's get her breakfast in bed. And so we planned some stuff around that and, you know, the, the, 
the kids did a little project. They made her something, and, and like Reese made this video about why she's a great mom and how much he loves her. And, and I, you know, I've got her some presents in the morning, like all this stuff, just like a day of, of you know, fun activities. And, and uh, we we're going to cap it off. We we're going to go to dinner in the evening. And um, because my wife believes that, you know, the, the best gift isn't the one that you get her. It's the one that she gets to pick out. So we had planned that we were going to take her shopping. And so, so we had this whole planned out and we we're going to take her shopping. We got dinner plans and we go there, and just because of the time and parking, I said, hey, I'll drop you off at the store, and, uh, and then I'll find a place to park. I'll bring, like, me and the kids, we'll, we'll all catch up with you, give you a chance to, to look in peace. And, and we, we got there, you know, about, I don't know, what seemed like hours later, it was probably 10 minutes, I, I caught up to her and uh, with the kids, and she had, like, five different things picked out. Indecision is what I'm saying. She's faced with this struggle of, indecision. And in her mind, um, it's not really a struggle because she decided to get all of it when you can't decide. And uh, that's why we're going to be taking up a special offering at the end of the service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. not doing that. But what I'm trying to say is all of us have moments where we deal with indecision. We deal with this dilemma of, I don't know what to do. And maybe for you, it's a big thing. Maybe like my wife, it's a small thing of trying to pick out, you know, decide which outfit she's going to get. But all of us are faced with a dilemma, and even if you don't think of what that would be in your life today, I would tell you that all of us are faced with this dilemma of the culture we live in. We're faced with a culture that's continually going away from God, and we have to figure out how we're going to live in the midst of that. And I know you're struggling with this because I've talked to many of you. I've talked to many of you who are students, and you're thinking, Okay, I, I don't know, like you, you're dealing with the same question. I've talked to many of you who are parents, who have children. I've talked to many of you who are just like, you're getting into your careers or your work environment and everybody has this same question. It's like, I believe this, but I'm getting pressure around this. I, 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 I thought this, but I'm beginning to have some questions about this. I, I grew up, being told this one thing, but now I'm, I'm intimidated or I'm struggling and I, I don't know what the answer is. And the good news is that the Bible deals with this very subject in the book of Daniel. It, it's the struggle of what do you do when God's word says one thing, but the culture that you live in says another thing. And if you don't know much about the book of Daniel, I wanna tell you a little bit about it. Daniel is an interesting book. It technically... It's classified as a prophetic book. What that means is Daniel was a prophet, had the gift of prophecy. And uh, when you read the book, there's a part of it where Daniel has all these visions and, and revelations. He, he sees these future events. But the book doesn't start out that way. The, the book starts out more like a narrative. It starts out with all of these great stories. And, and these are some great stories. Like these are the stories that you grow up with in Sunday school, like these are the stories where uh, you, you know about the Hebrew boys and the fiery furnace, and there was this big idol, and they were supposed to play the music, and somebody's like, isn't that a Veggie Tales? And you're like, yeah, that, that was, but I'm just saying like, like there's all the, you know, there's these great stories, and, and then there's this other story where like uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, like he's got this bumping party going on, like all this kind of stuff, and while this is happening, like 
this giant hand appears. It's the hand of God and it starts writing on the wall and it freaks everybody out and nobody can read what it's written. And like that's in there. There's another story, not a very well-known story, but I actually really like this story. It's the story of this king who goes crazy. He goes insane. He starts living like a wild animal. He takes on these animal characteristics, like just crazy stuff. And you go through all these stories and eventually you get to the most famous story, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But the reality uh, is all these stories, they're, they're not just stories, they're, they're history. They're, they're, they're narrative. They're, they're, they're recounting actual events that happened. And that's what makes Daniel such, so interesting as a book because it's unlike any other prophetic book. It, it starts out with these historical events and then it switches to this really hard to understand uh, prophetic vision and revelation because Daniel is actually seeing end time events. And if you're just looking at it, it'd be easy to think, why in the world would God put this book together like this? Like, why do you have some history and why do you have some really hard to understand prophecy. I would tell you, I think it's absolutely intentional because I think the truth is all of the book is prophetic, meaning that the reason we have these stories is because it's actually a playbook for how we need to live in this day and age that we're alive. You see, by the time we get to chapter one, the whole nation of Israel, they had rejected God and because they had rejected God, they paid the price for it. Now, if you're hearing me say this and you think, hey, this sounds like an album that I've heard before, uh, you'd be right because this was a pattern for the Israelites. They constantly were turning away from God, much like we do in our own lives. In fact, this is just a principle that we can take for our lives that anytime we turn away from God, anytime we, we step outside the boundaries that he set, we step outside his ability to protect. We step outside his ability to bless and that's what happened for them. We, we remove ourselves from God's blessing and for the nation of Israel, when, when they stopped following God, they were taken captive and they were by, by a nation called Babylon. Now the, the biblical term for this is the exile. It's a, it's a period in the Jewish history. It's called the exile. And what that means is that the nation of Babylon, they, they came in, they took the best and the brightest of the Hebrew boys and brought them back to their capital city in Babylon to indoctrinate them with their culture. Now, what's interesting is that the word Babylon literally means confusion. Look it up, Google it. The word Babylon means confusion. What that tells me is that the place that it's talking about here isn't just geographical, it's psychological. It's not just a municipality, it's a mindset where people are taken captive and brought into a place of confusion. I wonder if anything would more accurately describe the place that you and I live today, where, where people are confused about truth. People are confused about righteousness. They're, they're confused about how to navigate difficult situations. They're, they're confused about who they are and who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to live. And at this time that this is going on, the, the prevailing culture of the day, this 
Babylonian empire, this place where they're living, is telling them, you're supposed to live, act, believe one thing. And God's word, the, the word that they would have grown up knowing, that God's word says another thing. That's what was going on here. And the first thing we read about them doing is Babylon drops their given names and gives them new names. You see in verse six, it says, among those who were chosen, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, like it's normally not my thing, like to just get into Hebrew words or get into Greek words. And I'm not against any of that. I think it's really valuable. But lots of times I just want us to look at the English Bible and make sure that we can apply it to our life more than diving into Greek or Hebrew and trying to find out uh, some other meaning. But one thing I have always told you is that names in the Bible are very significant, always significant. Whenever you see somebody's name in the Bible, it's not just like the name that they go by. It's not just the name that they're called. Names in the Bible, whether it's a place or whether it's a person, that they always are representative of the character or the, or the traits that that person uh, should embody or does embody. And so uh, when we look at this, I, I wanted to just dive into these names a little bit because how many of you know like names mean something, right? Like when we were picking out our kids' names, I remember how we put like our firstborn, Reese, like we poured over just different names and not just how they sounded, but what they meant. Like one of the reasons we picked Reese as a name because it meant ardent after God. And, and like you think about what your name means, like you can think, of, yeah, that's kind of, that says something a little bit about me and my personality and who I am. Well, in Daniel, all of their names are very significant. And Daniel, it means this, that God is my judge. And I'm gonna move through these quickly so I don't take a lot of time with it, but they changed his name to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar literally means this, lady, protect the king. Now, this wasn't just an attack on his sexuality because it was that, because not only did they take these boys captive, they turned them into eunuchs. If you don't know what that is, Google, Google that too. But they turned them into eunuchs. And, and what he's saying is, hey, we are, we're changing your identity here. And instead of saying, hey, the focus now is shift from, shifted from focusing on God to focusing on man. It used to be God is my judge. Now it's you know, protect the king. That's the one you're supposed to, don't look to God, look to the king. No, 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 God's not gonna rule and judge you. No, the, the king is from God to man. Let's look at the next one, Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. In other words, man, God is so good. What an amazing God I serve. But they changed his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. In other words, God is not for you. God is not good to you. It's this cultural shift where shift from, from focus of a good God who's gracious to focus of you need to be fearful because God is bad. Look at how many restrictions he puts on you. Look, look at all the stuff that you can't, you know, you better not mess up or he might smite you. It's, it's God's not good. Don't follow him. All the things that you can't do. Next one says, Mishael. Who is what God is? In other words, who is like our God? There's, there's no one like God. I'm in awe of him. He amazes me. They changed his name 
to Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. It's a shift from confidence to cowardice. And, you know, reality, I see this a lot in our culture today, where it's this mindset of like, hey, you're a Christian. Hey, keep that, keep that stuff out of here. You know, don't, don't bring that in, into here. Or you should be ashamed of the fact that you're a Christian. And I'm not saying like that you need to be like in people's face or you need to be rude about it, but I'm saying, man, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be a coward about it. It's not like, like you don't need to be embarrassed to like pray over your food at a restaurant, you know? Like now if I'm with you, I'm not gonna hold your hand when we do that because that's just weird. Like I don't love you like that, but, but you don't need to be ashamed to like, pray over your food like you can pray for people when when there's a need and I'm just saying it's the shift from being confident to being a coward and here's the last one Azariah which means Yahweh has helped me now now Yahweh it's it's this endearing term it means I'm close to God he's involved in my life but they changed his name to Abednego which means servant of Nebo and this is the enemy's ultimate goal, to shift your focus from one of relationship to one of restriction, from a son to a slave. He's always trying to redefine your future. And the reason that it starts out renaming them, getting them to drop their given name, the culture's greatest tactic is this. It's all about changing your identity and lowering your standards. To, to make you believe something that's not true. And here's the question. I wonder for all of us here today, are we believing what culture says about us or do we believe what God says about us? That when we find ourselves in an ungodly culture, the place you have to start is you have to know who you are in Christ. You need to be secure in your identity in who God says you are. In fact, that's why we do the things we do as a church. Like, that's why we offer groups. It's not because I need you to be in a group. Not because we need you to be in a group. It's because you need to be in a group. You, you need people in your life that you can take the mask off with. People that are gonna encourage you with God's truth. Pe people that are gonna help you take steps towards freedom. People that are gonna help you move forward. That's why you need to be in a group. That's why we offer growth track because we want to help you discover your redemptive purpose not the label that the world has put on you not 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 what culture has said about you but help you discover what god says about you, you but we that's why we want you on a team so you can know that god is using your life to make an eternal difference in someone else that that you're living out your redemptive purpose that's why we do those things and so culture tried to rename them, but then Daniel does something that's really powerful. I want to show it to you. It's in the next verse. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. I want to point out to you that he didn't start by saying, hey, 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 you guys, culture, you guys are going to hell. Don't you know this is wrong? No, he, he didn't do that. He resolved within himself. And he's saying, hey, just because culture's doing one thing, that doesn't mean that I have to do it. Just because culture's saying one thing, doesn't mean I have to say it. Just because culture wants me to 
live this. That doesn't mean I have to live that way. It says he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now you might think, hey, what's the big deal about that? I mean, it's like, it's food, right? But you gotta understand, like this would have been a big deal for these Jewish boys. A few reasons. First of all, like for all these Jewish boys, they had strict dietary laws that were set forth, that were established in scripture, something that, that were uh, really held high in, in their culture. And so for, for them to violate these dietary laws, like it would have been a sin to them. Not only that, but because it says this was food from the king's table, what that would have meant is that all of this food had previously been sacrificed to idols. That so they would, you know, just like we pray over the food and bless it, they, they would, you know, present these offerings, sacrifice it before these idols, asking these idols to bless it, and then they would eat it. That this would have been a major sin for them. And so Daniel, he resolved within himself, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. And I want you to think about this just for a minute. Like, think about this in your own life. Like, what a small thing this was. Like, think about how easy this would have been for him to rationalize. I mean, he's, he's carried away into captivity. He's not here by choice. It's like, everybody else is doing it. You know, it's, we don't read about any other, just these four Hebrew boys. I mean, it could have been so he's like, hey, God, you'll forgive me if I do this, right? Like, it's not that big. It's not like I'm choosing to eat this food. I mean, they're setting it in front of me. Like, it would be rude to, you know, to not do that. You know, like, like God, it's, it's not that. Like, you have to, you know, eat to live. You want me to live, don't you? Of course. I mean, that's got to, like, I can't serve you if I'm not alive. Like, it would have been so easy to rationalize this away. But in, instead of just accepting it, he, he did something else. See, he resolved himself and look what he does next it says he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself it's kind of interesting to me that he asked for permission you know like, like he's saying hey I have some standards but he didn't just try and impose his convictions onto somebody else lots of times when we think about standing firm we think that that means that we have to show everybody and bring everybody else into our convictions. But you know, one of the things I'm not gonna do in this series is I'm not gonna tell you what's right and wrong. That is not my job. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. See, my job is to connect you with God. And I know that if I can connect you with God and you open up yourself to the Holy Spirit, he will speak to you. And you know what the Holy Spirit's role is? It says that he will lead you into righteousness. He's gonna show you some things. He's gonna show you some places where you need to change and he's gonna help you. He's gonna give you the power to change so you can relax. I'm not gonna give you a list of sins that you need to avoid or stances that you need to take. But what's so crazy, honestly, is like the church gets divided about the stupidest stuff. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like I mean, I'm not even talking like sin issues. Like, like the church gets divided over the dumbest stuff, like theological issues that nobody really understands. And, and we take the stand as if like we had a personal conversation with Jesus about it and he revealed it to us. Like, like we had this consultation with God before he created the universe and so we really know. And so what we do is like we get into camps over it and it's like, okay, well, you go over there and, and I'm gonna be over here. And you know, like you believe that about baptism and I believe this about baptism and 
you know, you believe that about, you know, predestination and like all these church words, right? That, that like just all, all this, this dumb stuff. And you may be thinking, well, what in this world does this have to do with name dropping? Well, see, because this week, like I came across something that I actually think is worth choosing sides over. And I, I, I want to show it to you because like, like this, like some things are worth choosing sides <laughs> over. And have you guys, have you guys heard this? You, you guys know about this? Are you familiar with, have you heard of Yannigate? Nobody's calling it that, by the way. But I'm just, let me, how many of you have not heard of Yannigate? Anybody? Just as I thought, we are torn apart. The, the world is the, you know, before we can heal the racial divide, we need to heal the Yanny divide right now. Because I'm just like, like, this is a big deal, you know. And like, I, I hesitated to bring this up because Marissa and I, like, we almost got in, in a screaming match over this. Um, you know, in fact, let, let's just settle this once and, and for all. Let, let, let's, um, can we play this let's, just so we all hear it? I listen intently. Laurel. 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 All right, how, how many of you heard Yanny? Okay, lo okay, look around. These are the crazy and delusional people. Do not talk to them. Avoid them in the lobby. Security, can we get these people out of here? All right, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, it's confusing, right? I, I hesitate to put it up there because, like, we, we almost, we got into a screaming match over this. I, I asked Marissa, I said, hey, well, what, what are you here? And she says, Yanny. I said, you can't be serious. She says, what are you? I said, Laurel. It, it's, it's Laurel. She says, no, I hear, it's Laurel. She said, you're lying to me. I said, I am not. She said, you got your lying face on. I can tell you are lying. I'm, and I'm like, you know, promising like on my kids' lives and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we almost didn't make it. I mean, we've been through a lot of stuff, but this was almost the end for us. But it's confusing because, uh, you know, I, I did some research onto it. And somebody asked me, I said, what, what you, what's it saying? It, it's saying Laurel. I, I mean, factually, it is saying, Lord, it is that, that that is not just opinion. That is an objective state. Do you know the story on this? The, the, the story is that the, the person who first submitted this, they, they were um, recording the word Laurel from vocabulary.com on their iPhone. They sent it to their friend and their friend heard Yanny. So it is Laurel, definitively, it's Laurel. But, but the fact of the matter is that they, I was reading about this, you know, on the YouTube and uh, or watching videos, however that works. And, and, and I was, why, why is it like, why is it some people hear one thing and some people hear another? And without going into all the science about it, it really depends on how you hear. And here's the point. How you hear determines what you hear. How you hear determines what you hear. And the reason it's so important to point out is because like we can say things like we can read in scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, where, where the writer says, honor marriage, guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband, because God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And how we hear that determines what we hear. I think, oh, well, God, you know, he just, that, that, that's old school, you know? Like, like that's not really relevant to today. 
Like, you know, we're sexual beings. God created us. Like, it's all, it's all good. Like, God wouldn't really mean that for me. It's not applicable. Not realizing that in the context of the passage, the writer's talking about how God cares for you, loves you, and all the promises that he promised to be there for you, and he's trying to protect you, and protect your heart. And there's some things that you can't get back once you give them away. You know, we'll read something like, like Proverbs 3.9, which says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your resources. Give him your first and your best. And we think, man, that's just, that is just the church. They want my money and they're trying to get after me. And like, that's not really biblical. You know, it's in the Bible. And you know, like, like it definitely is not like, you know, 10% to God's house, like, because I don't trust the church with that. Like, because how we hear it determines what we hear. Not really, like the very next verse says that then, because see, God's plan for you is, is more than enough. Like God's plan for you is to be blessed. And it, it's all about how we hear. And so the problem is like, we're always trying to categorize and classify where God is based off of what we've heard and how we hear. And we don't hear things right. And so one of two things happens when it comes to the Daniel dilemma. One of the things is we try and beat people over the head with the truth. It's like, well, I'm right. And I know I'm right. And I don't care what you think and what you say about it and who forget the fact about being effective, we're just gonna be right. And on the other side, in the name of love, we, we think we actually love people more than God loves people. And so we'll shift God's word around because we're doing it in the name of love because we love people. And whenever we take God's truth and try and fit it for our needs, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually called making God in our image. And so we, we, we can't do, so what are we supposed to do? How, do we supposed, how are we supposed to respond? I would tell you this. I would tell you, don't put an or where God puts an and. Don't put an or where God puts an and. See, we haven't learned to respond the right way. And lots of times what we wanna do is we wanna put an or where God puts an and. What do I mean? I mean, by and large, when we're faced with this dilemma, there's two extremes. One of them is, is to just be right, and I don't care what you say, I'm gonna be right, and you can go to hell. And here's the thing with that. Even if technically you are right, but your rightness isn't helping people, you're still wrong in your rightness. And then on the other side, it's like, well, I just believe God is all about grace, and God's a loving God and I want grace. And, and you know, I, I believe in grace and God is all about grace. But Jesus is bigger than saying it's all about grace. Now it is about grace, totally. But I want you to notice how the Bible describes Jesus. In John 1, 14, the writer said, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. So, He's not just grace, and he's not just truth. And he's not half and half. He's whole and whole. He's all grace, all truth. Total perfection, righteousness with skin. Think about Jesus, you look at him. I mean, he lived in such a way where he never compromised who he was and what he believed, yet 
the people that the world and would have considered themselves sinners far from God, they always felt loved by him. Man, I wanna live that way. And the thing is, that's a challenging way to live because even as Daniel was striving to live in grace and truth, I imagine he was getting hate from both sides. I imagine there were Jews who were like, I cannot believe that you would even want to have influence in this pagan, ungodly culture. And they've died. And then I bet there were others who were like, why are you holding on to the Jewish heritage? Like just, this is where we're at. This is our life for now. I gotta imagine Daniel was getting hate on both sides. And I get it because honestly, I get hate on both sides. Religious people think I'm too open. Other people think I'm not open enough. It's like whenever somebody, like I'm talking to them, it's like, oh, you're one of those churches. Like I always gotta try and identify what are the those you're talking about? Is it I'm not spiritual enough or is it I actually believe the Bible? I'm trying to figure this out. So, so now they say, hey, what, what kind of church? I just say, hey, we're the Jesus kind, yeah. right? We're full of grace and full of truth. You gotta have grace and truth. And the reason you gotta have grace and truth is because truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. So you need both. You need both. And that's what Daniel did. He practiced grace and truth. Look at what happened. He resolved not to defile himself in this way. And then it caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, look, I'm afraid for my Lord, the king, because he's assigned you to me. I'm supposed to give you this food. And if he sees you looking worse than the other young man, like he's gonna kill me. So Daniel responds, verse 12, he says, well, test us, test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Hashtag Daniel fast. And he says, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And, and here's the point. There is going to be a test. What's interesting in this book of Daniel is not just that there was a test, but how many times their faith was tested. In these first six chapters, over and over again, you see culture dictating one thing and then they're faced with a test. What are they gonna do? And all of us are gonna be tested in culture. What will you do when you're faced with this dilemma? Well, you know, when I think about it in my life, and there's been different tests, but probably one of my first tests that I had to face spiritually in terms of how I was gonna live was after I graduated from high school. I graduated from high school when I was 16. The week of my 17th birthday, I moved out of the house. I went to... I. I not just lived, moved out of the house, I moved out of the country. And uh, my story was I had worked hard, saved a lot of money. My parents weren't bankrolling me. This, this was my own thing. And I, I was living in another country. I was faced with this dilemma. Am I gonna stand in what I've grown up believing? Or am I just gonna do what so many young people do? Just go the way of the world, the way of culture, just do just run wild, do whatever. And I wanna give my parents a lot of credit because you know one thing they did is they didn't put a lot of rules on me. Now, I believe in rules. We definitely have rules at my house. You break the rules, you get a spanking. Some of you don't believe in that, you believe in timeout. I believe in both. I say, don't put an or where God put an and. So I spank them and I put them in timeout. <laughs> but some think that's cruel. I think it sounds like being a parent. I think it's awesome, but. 
with that, my parents didn't give me a lot of rules to live by. What they did was they gave me a reputation to live up to. See, it's all about identity. It's all about what's the name that you're gonna take. And that's what we see happen. These boys said, hey, we're not gonna accept those names. We're gonna resolve within ourselves, not trying to impose it on somebody else, but within ourselves, who God has called us to be. And let me show you what happens. We're gonna read through this quick. It says, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. The guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal. Now notice this, to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Wait, what were their names? Because I thought they were renamed. But they decided, we're not gonna adopt the name that you're trying to put on us. We're gonna hold on to the name that God has given us. It says none of them, nobody else was found equal to them. And so if you find yourself in a place where culture said one thing, you have to drop that name. Whether it's insecurity, doubt, fear, whether it's just, you know, don't stand for anything and resolve within yourself who God has called you to be. And look at this last verse, it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now it could have seemed like such a small thing. This was all over food, but they resolved within themselves we're gonna be who God has called us to be. And because of that, God gave these four young boys incredible influence in an ungodly culture. So here's the last question, and I'm gonna end with this. This is a question I wanna ask you. Is will you change the world or will you let the world change you? That's the question, that's the dilemma. Are you gonna be a world changer are you gonna let the world change you and who you are and what God has called you to be?